Hello and welcome to The Double Pivot, the world's most agreeable soccer analytics podcast. I am Michael Cayley. We are back. We had some Champions League games. Figured we'd talk to you about them. Yeah, I'm joined by Mike Goodman. He's been uh, watching a little bit of Champions League. Just just a bit. You know, the the search engine optimization kind of stops for the length of the matches. Pre-match <laughs> and post-match, I need to make sure everybody is reading our website. In the middle, I can watch some soccer. The music you heard on the way in is the Whalers. Max is not with us on the other side of the virtual glass. Please download, subscribe, and make us happy as podcasters. We're over at patreon.com slash doublepivot, where on the Moose of Dembele level this week, we will also hit Europa League in some form or another. Um, because that's also going on. Um, I've also got a preview of uh, next week's Champions League there. That's true. That is what is up there right now at patreon.com slash doublepivot, and you should subscribe and listen to it. All right. Champions League. Should we start with the game that... I can tell you from, you know, <laughs> lots of data in, in my in my work inbox it was the overwhelmingly most anticipated of the week, which is uh, Barcelona hosting uh, PSG without Neymar. We talked a bunch about how not having Neymar or Unhealthy Maria, for that matter, on the field made things um, much closer. And then that turned out not to be the case. Yeah, this was a fun game. So the so I mean I guess like the very basics are that uh, that Barcelona gets a, get a penalty early, uh, go up one zero, and then PSG come back and Mbappe has a hat trick and PSG wins four one. The game was closer than the scoreline at least for like the first hour, especially like okay at one one before PSG goes up two one before um they, and then they begin to pull away like Barcelona were playing okay, I thought. They had a lot of possession. They looked pretty decent on the ball. Messi was not super involved, but he was kind of springing attacks. Um, and I thought that they were, like, this wasn't an inevitable PSG crushing Barcelona. But PSG were also playing well. And once they got back in the match, and then, like, once they went ahead, they really were able to just, like, out-athleticism Barcelona in a lot of ways. Yeah, because this Barcelona team, I mean, the, they, I thought they played quite well for an hour. Like, yeah, in, in many ways, the story of this game is how well PSG played and how well PSG were set up to beat them. Yeah. Because what they did was they used um, a midfield just full of guys who can pass in, in De Jong and Busquets and, 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 and Pedri really kind of dropping in yep. from... Uh, he played near Messi, but he would drop into midfield and move the ball forward. Pedro was, was pretty clearly a midfielder here. We, I mean, we've got, you know, it's it's Messi, Dembele, and Griezmann, and then Pedri is the third midfielder. And then you have Dembele on one side and Alba on the other as your outlets with Griezmann and Messi hopefully interchanging to get through. And they did a few times. Yes, although I think it is it is notable that almost, not almost, every time, it was not Messi getting through. It was Messi playing Griezmann, mostly Griezmann, through. Yep. Um, to the extent that Pedri, like, we've joked before about how Pedri's, like, job is to pass the ball to Messi. Um, there were not a ton of times where Barcelona was pl- was applying extended pressure around PSG's box to try to do that. It was much more a passing midfielder springing Griezmann on Dembele behind and Messi being and, and 
like, to be fair, actually, De Jong, like, clearly had remit to make runs from midfield in behind, too. And he was the one that Messi found for the penalty early on. Um, so it was, it was it was an interesting setup, and it for about an hour, it worked. Yeah, and, and, and the way that it worked is that they just passed through PSG's press. Yes. Because but, we all, one thing we've also talked about before the game is how Pochettino had been playing, came started out with a three-man midfield, his first game or two in Liga, and then it was like, I don't need this. And then he'd play a Verratti and somebody else in central midfield for a while. Gets Champions League, gets Barcelona, and it's like, no, I'm starting all three guys. Well, they also didn't. He also didn't have Neymar, which. But at the same time, like you, like you feel like, given that he started a front three of Mbappe, and Icardi, and and Keane, was Keane that like Neymar just would have occupied one of the Icardi and Keane roles. Like that, th- that this was the the idea here was a, f- a true four three three, even if Neymar was healthy. It was impressive that. Barcelona were regularly able to pass through Paredes and Verratti and Ghana. Um, in the second half, Herrera, because Ghana was a... He, he got... Be- he, he committed somewhere between two and three yellow cards, but only got one. Yeah, he was the one guy on this team, because it was very clear the other dynamic of this game was PSG leaving something extra in almost all of their challenges... Very Pochettino. Very Pochettino. Extremely Pochettino. And Ghana, and like, Verratti was like living his best life out there. Yeah. And Ghana was like, just didn't quite uh, harmonize it quite right. The other thing about Verratti is he got to play as the most advanced of the three. And like, that meant that he was on the ball a lot, including second, setting up the second goal? I think, I think so. Um,. The one where, like, he just embarrasses PK with a flick before uh, Mbappe embarrasses Langley with a touch and drills home. Um, but, like, Verratti gets to be on the ball around the penalty area a good deal during sustained possession when PSG have it. And that's something we haven't seen for a while, and and he's really good at that. It being a thing, he's really good at it. That's, yes, yes. <laughs> that's how it works. And so, like, this this game... Because, so Mbappe gets the hat trick. The thing is, though, that they were playing a front three of Mbappe and two strikers. Yes. And Keon was playing as a winger, and, like, he did stay wide, and he was, like, in winger spaces. But it's not like he does ball progression. Right. I mean, no, a couple of times they got it out to him, and he was like, I don't know. <laughs> he clearly didn't know what he was doing out there. Right. And so Mbappe was, and so... Mbappe was the main player that they advanced the ball through. He was so good. And the guy who finished the chances. He was so... I mean, this was like best player in the world level types of type of performance. It really was. It was... And like... It was really good. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how more to... Now, part of what happened here was it seemed pretty clear that like Dembele was supposed to track back and help Dest. And, like, Debele did it for 15 minutes, and then he's just on Debele, and he just, like, kind of stopped. And you had PK at center back over on that side, who hadn't played in four months, and, like, played like a man who hadn't played in four months. So, like, it was a very bad triangle over there for Barcelona, but, oh my god, oh my god, did Mbappe tear it apart. The thing that makes this best player in the world kind of stuff 
isn't the hat trick. Right. It's the hat trick and being the facilitator of the entire attack. It's like the midfielders can do lots of good passing to get the ball to him. He gets it up into the attacking area. He then gets it back to the midfielders to do lots of passing around the attacking area, followed by finding him to score goals. <laughs> Erling Holland, which we'll talk about and had a great game, he doesn't do that part. He just scores the goals. And so like, it is two very different players. And But Mbappe is giving you just as many goals. So like... Yep. Yeah. No, it's it's young Cristiano Ronaldo stuff is what it is. That that's the thing is this is this is exactly what Ronaldo was at his first peak. Ronaldo's first peak was like 25 26, not 20 at 20 he was a a great winger, but he was a exactly. winger on those United teams where they had the fluid front three with him and uh, Tevez and Rooney. Right? Uh, And, like, you watched him go through the regression of, like, I'm a winger who does lots of assists to I'm a winger who scores lots of goals to I'm an attacking wide forward who does everything. But, like, it took, like, it was, like, that was the path from 19 to 24, whereas, like, Mbappe, it's been the path from 19 to 22. Much more to say here. I mean, we have have written off... uh Barcelona against PSG after a bad first leg before, but um, I thought that you know the team it was it seemed very clear that Pochettino felt that he could send this team out to press, yes, and they would have the legs to do it, and they and this was a, a Barcelona team that was vulnerable to it, and all of those were like totally correct, and if he can keep PSG having the legs to press through the Champions League. That's a game changer. I also do think it's it is interesting to me that they were able to effectively do that given who their front three were, because none of those three really contribute to pressing. Like none of them are particularly involved in stopping the ball getting into the midfield. But with PK really not at his best, and Longley being like a good defender, but not like a particularly like good passer out of the defense. And Busquets being so slow, um, they could let they could basically let the ball go into midfield and then press in midfield and not worry about it being rotated back to the center backs who were going to beat them. Yeah, I do think that like against a side. Now maybe we don't have a side that's that good. Like maybe we don't have, but like this. This collection of players pressing in this way won't work against a differently shaped pair of center backs. Um, you know, a, a, a sharp passing couple of center backs would have given this PSG side problems, I think. Yeah. Exactly. As we try to find someone to give Man City a game. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fair point. Like, this, this approach would not have worked against Manchester City. We're going to freaking turn John Stones into a superstar, which makes me angry. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, and then the other game, this this other match this this day was uh, was Liverpool beating RB Leipzig, which doesn't quite fit our sort of like, you know, well, return a, of pressing narrative. It does a little bit because Liverpool were much were more aggressive defensively than they usually were, than they have yeah. been. 
And, and what was interesting about this game to me, and, and, and Leipzig were a little more passive defensively. Yes. And they were actually, I thought, doing it quite well. Yeah, I didn't, like, honestly, I didn't think Leipzig played terribly in this match. No. I mean, the thing is that, like, if you're going to play like that, you can't fuck up twice. <laughs> On both ends, like defensively, and then like Angelino got those two Angelino chances. He really did. I just didn't finish. Yep, and and then I think it was Huang late in the game as well. And so, you know, the the, the chances were there to make this a more exciting tie. I I, I feel like Leipzig played them reasonably well. Once you go to oh, like that's kind of. Like it made sense to me that Nagelsmann set up the team to defend a little more passively, concede a little more space. Yeah, we talked We talked before the match about how they were comfortable defending sort of in their, and in their own penalty, and that's what they did. But, like, Liverpool's front three are very good. What they really got, got hit by was both Liverpool pressing their defenders and also just their defenders making completely inexplicable passing choices. Where Liverpool being more aggressive became apparent was not necessarily in the defensive performance, but in the fact that Trent and Robertson got up the field in attack. Um, and, like, those are, like, flip sides of the same coin, right? Like, those guys don't both get forward if you're not also planning on counter-pressing very aggressively, because otherwise there's too much space in behind. But, like, it was a, a real factor of this match was, like, getting Trent on the ball to do the progressing work, the aggressive progressing work, when it was still then the Liverpool front three against a back three for Leipzig. And, like, Trent had an awesome game. Liverpool can now just, like, leverage so much passing. Yeah. Because you, you, can, you, can, you can push Trent up and get the ball, and you've also got Jones in there and, like... Now, I don't know if they can do that, like, week in, week out with Kabak. Like, I have questions. Um, but they... And they weren't, like, super better than Leipzig here, even. They were, like... This was, like, an, like a last-year Liverpool performance where they were somewhat better and won comfortably. Um, so we'll see if that, like, we'll... Like, so I don't want to take too much away from that. But certainly on the day. Yeah, I, it seems to me that recently Klopp has been returning to a much more aggressive style, and in particular, like, not caring that he has Jones and Tiago and still wanting Trent up in the attack, um, driving things. And I am not sure that is a great idea. We've seen it not be a great idea in some other recent matches. <laughs> That's right. But it worked here. But it worked really well here. And it's, it's going to be interesting to track over in both the league and the Champions League if this is something they continue to do. Because it, it seems like it's unnecessary if you've got Jones and Tiago. But, hey. Yeah, at the same time, man, Trent's so good. Like, when you can get Trent doing these things, and also, like, it's much... It's one thing that is true for me is that it is true you have tons of passing in midfield and you don't have to do that with Trent, but the knock-on effect from that is it changes where, what Salah is doing and where. And being able to get Salah back into attacking the box without having to do progressing, um, without having to be an outlet for the midfielders, is, I think, really good for their attack. I think the, the other game here that is very much a story of, oh, the pressing and the attacking quickly. 
is Sevilla Dortmund because we we previewed this as like fast soccer against slow soccer and we kind of both placed our bets on slow soccer and particularly because Dortmund have not been that good. Yes, on the one hand, Dortmund at times blew their doors off, right? Yeah. Like absolutely blew the doors off. Um, and Holland is unbelievably good at scoring goals. Like that's just bottom line. He is really freaking good at running through the middle of a defense, getting on the end of a ball, and putting that ball in the net. Half an hour into this match, there were six total shots. Yep. So, like, I don't think it is super apparent that, other than the fact that Holland went nuts as he always does and scores goals, like, from a pace of the match perspective, that, like, Dortmund were taking it to Sevilla. The the story here of this match was that Dortmund were able to get into transition sometimes, and both Sancho and Erling Haaland had their, like, 90th, 80th, 90th percentile kind of match. Yeah. Because Sancho, like, he was yeah. on the ball a ton. He had another one of those games where he's playing as a forward and completing 85% of his passes. He had, like, I, I had him as a four or five progressive passes, a bunch of dribbles. Like, he did everything for them. F- five out of eight successful uh, dr- dribbles successful, along with all of that passing. Um 0.4 expected assists. Like, what they were able to do was when they were able to press and break, they had these two guys that were, like, a cheat code a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. And then, like, on top of it, like, I don't know, the the goal, right, so Sevilla scored first in this match. Like, let's emphasize this. Sevilla scored first yeah. and last. They scored three goals in the 80 minutes in the middle. But, like, the first goal was, like, I don't know, like, do you, are you upset if Dahoud, like, slams one in from 23 yards? I'm not. Like, I think if you ask, right, like, if you ask Lopetegui if he's okay with his defense conceding that shot, the answer is of course. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, th- I think the, it's, it's, it's a sort of game where, like, it's more fun that it's 3-2, to two, but, like, Suso took a, Suso shot, got deflected by the keeper, and then Dahoud hit a rocket from 25, and then the game kind of continues from there. On the other hand, like, boy, wouldn't Sevilla rather have it be 2-1 than 3-2? I don't know. I, I don't take away from this match anything that persuades me that, like, Sevilla isn't a little bit better than Dortmund, which was my prior. Even if on the night I think it's true that probably Dortmund played a little bit better than Sevilla, but not a lot better. Dortmund out-talented Sevilla, but that talent doesn't always play at quite that level. No, and has been played quite below that level for like recently. I don't know. I feel I felt like I felt pretty good about the pulse we had on that match beforehand and like the way it was going to work. And I think it is true that like if you look at the battle of the flank, Sancho dominated that flank, although Navas played quite well for Sevilla as well. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just like like sometimes Harlan's gonna do that to you. I don't know. Like, but would you be, like, super surprised if Sevilla wins 2-0 in the next leg? Like, like they got to score two goals. That's the hard part. But, I mean, Dortmund's got to concede two goals. That's the easy part. So That's, that's right. Um, like, this, to me, is, is a match that doesn't seem super over. A tie that doesn't seem super over. Yeah, and then, then we've got the one that is, you know, 
we got the perfect score for taking it to the next leg, I guess. To me, this is just like, it's so hard to be an underdog in the Champions League and walk away from your first tie being the home tie, like, gone and away. You may, like, fell asleep twice, really looked poor, and then they get a late goal, and it's like, oh, of course they're going to go through. (laughs) I don't know. Pirlo's just not going to do that again, where he starts Kulosevsky instead of Morata. It was and weird. And so he has no one facilitating for Ronaldo. Ronaldo did nothing into this game until Morata came in. Yep. And, like, and to be fair, like, even when Morata came in, Ronaldo did not do a heck of a lot. Part of what's going on here is, like, Ronaldo's job is back to being kind of like an inside forward rather than a striker. But it's sort of done on the understanding that week out and week out and see, week in and week out in Syria, nobody makes him work very hard to be in that role, especially when you consider all the other talent Juventus have all over the field. And Porto did make him work, and there was no Murata, so like it, the 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 approach did not work for for Juventus. But like that said, they didn't play that much worse than a Porto side who they like just fell asleep against twice in the opening two, in like two minutes of each half. Yeah, Even definitely not counting for that, right? So I think I think the interesting question is going to be because Porto is just going to play an even more defensive version of this very Atletico four four two, and you know, and is Juventus is going to have to just get through that at home, which seems more likely than not, but. I have a hard time, even after watching that match, constructing the way by which Juventus don't go through. Like, the talent gulf here is very large to try to go on the road and basically bunker yourself in for 90 minutes when you only have to concede. Like, like the difference between Juventus getting that, that late goal, so they only have to score one and not, so they would have had to score three. He's, like, massive. It's just massive. It's so hard to, like... It's just so hard to be that that home dog in the tie. And, and you know... Anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, some of what changed is just, like, you know... Now Barcelona, one of the better teams in the Champions League, are very unlikely to remain in the Champions League. But um, do you feel like there's anything else that we learn from this? Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about how, like, it's 2007 again. And then, like, I don't know, somewhere between two and three teams won purely by pressing their opponent out of the match. So, like, okay, sorry. I mean, a bunch of teams went out there to play 2007 soccer and then got punched in the jaw. Like, that's... Now, again, like, PSG came out and did the thing, right? Like... It was a fairly even match for an hour, but PSG came out and pressed really effectively to make it an even thing because Barcelona played pretty well for now. And then, you know, PSG pull away. Um, Dortmund came out and they were the team that we were like, oh, well, they press all the time anyway. And they were able to do it and do it well enough, but it wasn't like they like super dominated. And then to me, that was a little bit interesting is that Liverpool looked like old Liverpool against against Leipzig, um, but all three of them won. So it was like it wasn't like anybody here did the thing that happened a lot early this season, where they came out and tried to press and couldn't and got taken apart. 
Like that to me is what was interesting here. Yeah. It, it, not that not that like pressing is winning all of these games, but it wasn't a problem in any of these matches. Um, Correct. Which I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess if, if, if this you know weird little trend holds, that's a good sign for Lazio. I mean, that's a good sign for Bayern Munich, who like are massively favored against right. Lazio. But if there's a team, if there's a very good team that I could see, just like you know. Again, if there's a team that I could see going out there to press and suddenly getting hit with two balls over the top to Immobile, it's them. So that's the thing. That's the thing. They're bad. If it was if it was a better version of this same Lazio team, anyway that that is a discussion that you will hear on on at slash double pivot. As we sit here and hope for the tournament, the hope is that like one of these teams that that went out there and really did a good you know. Good college try at pressing and more or less pulled it off is able to do it against City. Like that's that is the hope for the tournament. That's what we're looking for. So that's what we watch in, and we, we watch a little bit of the Europa League. We'll talk about that on the Musa Dembele side. Thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll see you around. Cheers. Cheers, y'all.